God did not call us to simply live with our neighbors. God calls us to love our neighbors. Um, We are starting, it's just going to be a two-week series where we're looking at how we can be better at loving our neighbors. Um, I often say, even talking to other people in in, in the church and outside the church, that I, I think of my style of preaching as I tend to share with you my conversations with God, that it's just me talking to God and I allow you to listen in on those conversations. Um, if no one else gets anything out of this message, uh, it, is, it is for me on how to, to be a good neighbor. Um, we think about the church. I shared with you last week Moses. Moses' legacy to the church was God used him to shape and form the people of God to be a distinct group of people to be able to be a witness to God. And that's what God's doing in this place. When we walk in here, Chad started our prayer this morning with allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Uh, That's an ongoing theme that we should pray that God shapes and forms us into the people God wants us to be so that we can go into the world, we can be a witness, and we can share God's love and God's joy and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. I mean, that's the purpose of the church. Amen? Amen. But we have made it painfully complicated. Um, We have added rules and systems and strategies and I love systems and strategies but folks, Jesus' command to the church was embarrassingly simple. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And you may think, well, that's not very profound. I got up and came in at 11 o'clock. I already knew that. Um, But many of you are probably like me. We don't do that well. You see, I am not a good neighbor. I'm a nice neighbor, uh, but I'm not a good neighbor. I'm what you would call spiritually farsighted. Uh, I, Pam and Nathan, they, they come back from Kenya. They can tell me their story. And I can resonate with her and her, her, her mission opportunity. And my heart breaks for the kids in Kenya. Uh, and I want to be their neighbor. Um, Isaac this morning was telling me about the, the people in Zimbabwe and the struggle that they're in in Zimbabwe. And... and, and uh, uh, It's not an experience that many of us have ever experienced in our lives. And I know his heart breaks because his family's in Zimbabwe and they're caught up in the turmoil. And I can be your neighbor. I can, I'll pray with you. Um, My heart, our family's heart is with the small settlement in Standard Creek on Andros Island in the Bahamas. And I think about those kids often and I want to be their neighbor. I share with you the Angel Tree Ministry. Every little one of those cards represents a kid who deserves Christmas. And they're not going to experience Christmas if we don't provide Christmas for them. And it's a way to be able to love on those kids. And I think every single one of those cards should get taken up. And we should, if you've already got one, you should get another one. We should be their neighbor. But I struggle with being a good to neighbor to the people right in front of my face. I'm spiritually farsighted. I'm just a nice neighbor. I'm kind of the neighbor you probably want. I'm not going to bother you. Uh, I'm going to wave at you. Yesterday, I was pulling into my subdivision, and one of my neighbors across the street was trimming his hedges. And he looked at me as I drove past. He waved at me, and I waved at him. I'm a very nice neighbor. 
But I don't believe that's what God is calling us to do when he calls us to love our neighbor. I think he's calling us to be a good neighbor. And so I invite you this morning as we read scripture, I'm going to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to move today. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Allow the Holy Spirit to show us, are we being good or are we being nice? If you've got your Bibles, remember, it's okay to bring your Bibles to church. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Um, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, verse 34, reads this way. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. In other words, if you stop there, everything up to this point in the Old Testament can be summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul takes this, and he condenses it even further. If you go look in Galatians, look at what it says in Galatians 5, verse 14. It says, all the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, for Paul, if you love your neighbor... If you love your neighbor as yourself, you, you, would, you would love God with all your heart and all your being and all your mind. And so we have to get this as the people of God. We have to understand that we have to be, we're commanded by God to be good neighbors, not nice neighbors. So if you're able this morning, I want to take you back to the community that I grew up in. Um, too many years to count. Uh, but I grew up, my parents in 1972 moved to Powder Springs, Georgia, which is a little northwest of Atlanta. It was a small town at that time, still relatively small, but it's kind of been caught up in the suburban uh, uh, Atlanta area. But I grew up and we moved to Moon Road. Now, Moon Road, let me describe it for you. Moon Road was about a two-mile road. It was gravel. Um, it was actually a second section to Moon Road. If you crossed over Florence, you would hit another section. Uh, they were paved, so we kind of considered them city folk. Uh, they were closer to the town. There was about 20 homes that were on the paved area. On the gravel area, we had about seven houses on this two-mile stretch. Um, if I, I could tell you right now, I could tell you every house. I could tell you who... Every parent who lived in that house and those seven houses, um, I could definitely tell you all of the kids that lived in those seven houses. Uh, if, if you gave me time, I could tell you their pets. Um, I, I, I could. Doris, who lived down the street from us, who was the closest neighbor to us, Doris had a, a horse named Dusty. Uh, and I, I, I remember that. So, I mean, I, I could tell you a lot about the people on Moon Road. Um, we, were a, we were a community. Um, we watched out for each other. Uh, there was one time where we had cows. We had a pasture, and we had a tree that fell on the fence, and our cows got out. We didn't know it, 
and all of a sudden we got a phone call. Our neighbors had rounded up our cows and were ready for us to come and get them back. They knew whose cows were whose. Um, that was just how we lived on, on Moon Road. And it wasn't always good because there was one time I was about 12 and I was walking... Any 12-year-olds don't listen to this story. I was walking down the road smoking a cigarette, uh, and my neighbors saw me, and they called my dad. And when I got home, I got a good whooping uh, because I should be. So there was good and bad to that, but, but we watched out for each other. Um, I could go and play at Tony's house, and if Tony's mom had dinner ready, she would call him in to eat. And if Tony got called in to eat, she called me in to eat. Now I'd go home, my mother would have supper ready, and she supper's ready. I already ate at Tony's house. But being, I'd eat again. Uh, so, but, but we just, you, you fed each other. Uh, we just, we were a good community uh, towards each other. Um, we could fight among Moon Road. If you were part of Moon Road, we could fight like brothers and sisters. Um, I remember one day we were out in our backyard. Um, the whole family was outside. We were doing yard work or whatever. And, and one of the guys from the city side of Moon Road, uh, he came walking down. He walked into our, down our driveway and asked where my brother was. Told him he was down by the barn. So he walked out to the barn where, the, where they were. Uh, we saw all this take place. Uh, he talked to my brother for a minute. I have no idea even to this day what he said. Uh, he talked to my brother for a minute. He punched my brother in the face. Um, my brother fell down. He walked back by. He said good, very polite way to my mother. Have a good day, Miss Postel, and walked on by. I mean, we, we could fight. Um, but you didn't mess with people from Moon Road in public. You know, we, we would take care of each other. Um, we, were, we were a community. Um, I remember my parents uh, going in with some of the other neighbors to buy card tables and chairs. And it wasn't that we were so poor that we couldn't afford card tables and chairs, but there was no need to have more than two card tables and chairs because they stored them at our house because on Friday nights they would all come over to our house. Us kids would play outside and my parents would set up the card tables and chairs and they would play rook till the wee hours of the morning. Um, we just, we knew each other. We, we cared for each other. And some of the most, the earliest spiritual experiences I ever had were in interacting with some of the people on Moon Road. We didn't go to church and my neighbors, the Brumbelows, would take me to church they would sit on their front porch. I can remember sitting there thinking about it. We'd sit on the front porch and they would talk to me about Jesus. We don't sit on our front porch anymore. We sit on our back patios in our privacy fences. Are we good neighbors? Are we nice neighbors? Now, if you'll fast forward 35, 40 years, um, my street that I live on today is a small little cul-de-sac. Anybody want to guess how many houses are on my street? Seven. God has a weird way of doing that when you start counting the math. Uh, seven houses on my street. All of them are closer to me than any other of the houses that were on Moon Road. And I don't know anybody's name. I'm a nice neighbor. I wave. I shut my garage. 
I go in, I sit on my back patio. I think God calls us to be more. I don't know if you've ever had a wake-up call with God from God, and it's typically very painful when you do. Um, but I'll tell you about a wake-up call I had as I was working on this sermon series. Uh, some of you have been around, and you know that I shared a story a while back about these two little boys that used to live across the street from us. They, there were two boys that would come and play basketball with Latham when they were five, six years old. And one night, one Saturday night, we were playing basketball, and the boys were playing. There was time for them to go home. And so they started to leave, and they said, can we play again tomorrow? And I said, sure, but we got to play after church. And so they wanted to know what was church. thought that was a strange question, so I began to try to explain to them what we're doing in this moment that a seven-year-old would understand. And fortunately, I threw in Jesus' name somehow, um, and they said, well, who's Jesus? And that was really one of those trigger points for me to realize that you know what everybody outside these doors don't just necessarily know the name of Jesus Christ they don't know the story of Jesus and I just kind of assumed that everybody had heard it they knew what they 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 kind of had made their decision and so this was a very pivotal thing for me in my faith because I recognized we've got to we got to be better at going out and proclaiming Jesus to the world around us so you got to know that story to hear my wake-up call So two weeks ago, I was at a conference, and we were sitting around a table, and we were telling those monumental moments of our faith. And I was sharing with them that story about those two little boys and how I'll never forget that they had been across the street from me for years, and I didn't know anything about and had never witnessed to them about Jesus. And one of the ladies turned to me, and she said, I'll bet you'll never let that happen again in your life. And I thought about the little boy who lives next door to us, who plays football every day in his yard. Let me tell you, if anybody ever deserves to get to be in the NFL because of effort, this little boy. If it's cold, he's playing football. If it's rainy, he's finding a way to play football. And I don't know his name. I am a nice neighbor, but I am not good. And I believe when God calls us and commands us as the people of God to be this distinct group of people to go out and witness to the world, I believe he's calling us to something more than being nice. I believe he's calling us to be good neighbors. And I don't know about you, but when the Holy Spirit convicts me, I actually want to try to figure out a way to do it better. To be more like Jesus. Jesus shows us who God is. Shows us the nature of God and what God values. And and he reveals himself to us in relationships. God has come to this earth to bring forth fullness of the relationships that we have in this life. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at Jesus in the Gospels. Go and read this week, your home, read, read the Gospel of Mark, read the Gospel of Matthew. Um, if you read the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus' ministry is always in the neighborhoods. It's not in the temple. When Jesus works and moves and reveals himself, 
It's in the neighborhoods. It's in the houses. It's in the relationships with the people. The core of Jesus' ministry is not in the temple. It's in the neighborhood. It's not inside. It's outside. I mean, if you grew up going to vacation Bible school, do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Wee little man. Um, Zacchaeus was a uh, tax collector. He was a ruler among tax collectors. And Zacchaeus was short. And Jesus came to town, comes to Jericho. You can still, if you go over to Jericho, you can see the tree that Zacchaeus climbed in. But Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he knows that he's short. The crowd's going to push him in. And so Zacchaeus does the only creative thing he can think about doing to be able to see Jesus. He climbs a tree. And Jesus comes to see see Zacchaeus in the tree, and he speaks to him. Look at what it says in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Now I read that passage, and you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that Jesus came down and said to Zacchaeus, Hey, let's go to the temple. He says, let's go to your home. Let's, let's, let's go to the neighborhood. Let's be in relationship with each other. You see it over and over again. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 9. We see the same thing, but it, it's dealing with Matthew. It says, as Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. As Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So where did Matthew follow Jesus to? To his house, right? Where did did Jesus interact and deal and, and, and meet all of the sinners and all of the tax collectors? Around the table in the house, in the neighborhood. See, the problem that we have as a church is so, so too often we want to be this distinct group of people. And so what we do is we separate ourselves into God's holy club. Is that what God calls the church to be? Don't get me wrong. I think we need people of faith in our lives. I think you need people who have similar values and, and, and similar faith ideas to be able to help hold you accountable. But folks, if that's all we do as the church, we miss the point of the church which is to be a group of people that goes into the world and shares God's love and grace and mercy. And if you notice this story, as they gather around the table, here's a group of people who don't necessarily have the same faith beliefs. They don't necessarily have the same moral values. But they sit around and are in relationship with each other. For me... It's a lot like family. I have been in ministry 14 years, and I've come alongside a lot of families in my ministry. And here's what I have learned, no offense to any of you in the room. Every family has dysfunction. Every family has the weird uncle or weird relatives. The old joke is, if you don't think you have one, you're probably it. Uh, <laughs> And, or several. And, uh, 
And don't try to bring me your story of dysfunction because I promise you I probably have one better. Uh, I have a, if you get all of my aunts and uncles and cousins in a room, we are a weird group of people. Uh, and and there, there, there are people, if you gather us all together, we don't do it very often, but if you gather us all together, there, there are going to be people sitting around the table who, who are trying to love God with all of their heart, all of their being, all of their mind, and there are going to be people around the table who literally laugh at the idea or concept of Jesus. There's going to be people at our table who, uh, if you know what to look for, come with on high of whatever their drug of choice is for that day. We're going to have people around the table who probably are battling addictions of every sort. If you get all of us together, we are black, white, gay, straight, rich, poor. We're Democrats, we're Republicans, we're Baptists, we're Methodists, we're atheists. And it causes for some really interesting conversations. Uh, Robust conversations is my polite way of saying that we can argue pretty good. But we stay together because we're connected. Um, We are all connected. Biblically, if you go back, we we have one ancestor in Adam. Uh, We're connected to each other in the room and we're connected to all the people that are around us in our neighborhoods. In fact, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam, that Jesus came in order to restore the relationships that were broken. We're connected to each other. We should be in relationship with each other. I mean, it's really interesting. If you go and read the Gospels, all of Jesus' miracles occur when he's in neighborhoods, when he's in homes, Um, we are the men's there's a men's bible study I invite any man that wants to come we have a men's bible study on Tuesday mornings we're studying the gospel of Mark and we have gotten Jesus into the temple and what we've noticed if you if what we've seen is when he gets to the temple the only thing that occurs in the temple is instruction and how to be a disciple the miracles stop when he comes into the temple all of Jesus's ministry and miracles occur in the community, when he's in homes and when he's in relationship with people. Let's look at a couple examples. Uh, Let's look at Luke 4. In Luke 4, we see uh, verses 38 through 39. It says, After leaving the synagogue, Jesus went home with Simon. Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever, and the family asked Jesus to help her. He bent over and spoke harshly to the fever, and it left her. Well, notice that Jesus didn't go to Simon's house to heal her. He went to Simon's house because he was friends with Simon. Some scholars believe that he actually stayed in Simon's house when he was in town. But but he went there because he was in a relationship. While he was there, somebody got sick. They asked Jesus for help. And he helps, but he helps because he's in a relationship with them. You can see this again. Look at what it says in John chapter 2. Anybody know what Jesus' first miracle was? Water into wine. Okay, so look at what it says in John 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Who do you invite to a wedding? 
friends, family, right? So you're going to always, I mean, if you have to try to figure out who to invite, especially if you're not the one funding the wedding, you kind of get told how many you got to do. You got to look for close friends. The scripture says that Jesus was invited to the wedding. Jesus' disciples were invited. So these, these were people they knew. They had, had somehow had a relationship with the bride or the groom or the families. He didn't go to the wedding to turn water into wine. In fact, if you know the story, he didn't want to do it when he was asked to do it. He said, now's not the time. The miracle is secondary to the relationship. That's what God is creating or hoping for his people is that we become people of relationships. And then we see the miracles begin to occur. As a church, we've got to realize that for us to be the most effective at spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to be when we go into our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, our places of work, and it's going to be much more effective than any church program we could ever create. We are called to be good neighbors. Home is the central core of the movement of Jesus Christ. It's in the DNA of the early church. Look at what it says in Acts 2. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes... They shared food with gladness and simplicity. Folks, if we are going to be effective, if we're going to be effective at being the people of God, distinct witness to the world, giving God the glory, we've got to move outside these walls. I'm waiting for an amen. That that we've got to move outside the walls. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. I want, to, I want to just ask you a few questions. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. And I'm going to ask you first questions just thinking about your own relationship with God. Don't, don't try to nudge your spouse. Um, don't try to think about the church. Don't think about a group in the church. This is you and God. First question. How often do you pray for the lost of our community? How often do you pray? Not not pray that they change, but how often do you pray for them? How how often do you pray that, that God reaches them? And that they seek after a relationship and that God pours blessing into their lives. How often do you pray for those who are disconnected from Jesus? Second question. When you think about the decisions you make, how often do you make your decisions based solely on how they affect you? Or maybe your family? How often do you make your decisions based solely on how something affects you? Third, do you spend any time with people who don't know Jesus? Let me tell you, if your response to me is, I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus, you need to find some new people. Because there are so many people outside these walls who don't know Jesus. And if we're going to be the church, we're going to be the people of God, we've got to to put ourselves in situations to where we encounter people who don't know Jesus. Fourth, 
How much of your time doing church things occur in this building or on this campus? Fifth, are you personally involved in missions? Let me tell you, our goal as a church should be every single person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ needs to be actively, personally involved in some mission. Not ministry, mission. Some way of reaching people outside the walls of the church. Every single, our goal should be nothing less than 100%. Now, let's think about the church. We've convicted ourselves. The Holy Spirit's convicted us in our own lives. Let's think about the church. So think about your Sunday school class, your small group, or think about us as a church at large. One, how often do we pray for the lost in our community? How often do we corporately come together and pray? How often do your groups pray for those who are disconnected from God? When we make decisions as a church, we make decisions as leaders, how often do we make our decisions based on how they affect us as members and not affect those who are outside the church? Third, do most of our ministries, do most of our ministries occur here on this campus? Fourth, Who do we spend time with on Sundays? And I know these are difficult questions, but who do you spend time with on Sundays? Who do you talk to? Is it people you already know? Or do we treat guests as as VIPs? One quick quick way to think about it is who have you talked to already today? What would a guest say if they stood up and told us were they welcomed? Were they they treated as a VIP? Did we make our decisions based on how they're going to feel? And number five, are we more concerned with committees than we are conversions? I pray our answer is no. Are we good neighbors? I'm not. I confess it. Um, But I, I use that to challenge me to learn how to be a good neighbor and not just be a nice neighbor. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that your Holy Spirit does convict us. And I pray, Lord, first, Lord, I just pray for for forgiveness for me. A recognition that I, I have failed you on many opportunities to be a good neighbor. And I pray, God, that you pour your forgiveness into me and allow your Holy Spirit to, to move in me to show me how I can be a good neighbor for you. And I take great comfort in the word that says that when we do confess our sins that you are faithful 
you are just and you forgive. And I pray, Lord, for our church. Too many times we're making decisions for us. Help us, God, to be passionate about the relationships that are outside these walls. Passionate about those people who do not know you. And that we begin to to shift our focus towards them. Forgive us where we have gone wrong. Extend your grace to us. But Lord, challenge us. Help us to be better. Help us to be your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.